1: Earlier this year, reporting by the Financial Times and other news organizations exposed one of the largest money laundering scandals the world had ever seen.
0: Danish lender Danske Bank says billions of euros flowed through its accounts from Russia and ex Soviet states. The probes center
1: on the bank's tiny subsidiary in Estonia. Lacks controls there allowed through more than $230 billion. They came from thousands of suspicious customers outside Estonia. And now, Danske Bank is facing fines of up to about $8 billion. This is Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keane. Today on the show, how did the Danish bank find itself embroiled in the scandal, and just how far might it reach?
2: Danske Bank was really Denmark's national bank.
1: Richard Milne is the FT's Nordic correspondent.
0: It's
2: the biggest lender in Denmark. It was pretty much focused on Scandinavia, on the Nordic region.
1: Danske Bank had a significant business in Ireland. When the global recession hit Ireland, home prices collapsed and a lot of people had trouble paying back their loans. This had disastrous knock on effects for the banks that had provided the loans
0: forced to take over banks that suffered big losses from bad real estate loans, Ireland's debt is now 10 times higher than the EU ceiling.
1: And so looking to diversify their business during the crisis, Danske bought a company called Sampo Bank. It was a Finnish bank.
2: They got a bank in Finland, which was an area they weren't represented in, and they got some banks in the Baltics. (laughs) And the Baltics at that time were a high growth, almost emerging markets.
1: As of January 1st, it's goodbye to the kroon a proud symbol of Estonian independence. Estonians are now handing them in for shiny new euros.
2: Today we proudly welcome... They just entered into the EU and NATO. Estonia. So they were sort of very much in vogue. A lot of the Swedish banks had already got into the Baltics, the end of the 90s. And this was very much seen as, you know, the place to be for a Nordic bank. We welcome them into the ranks of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization.
1: Richard, who was banking in the Baltics?
2: The Baltic banking business was really split completely in two. The main part that most of the foreign players from Sweden concentrated on was the domestic banking business. That's Estonians, uh, Latvians, Lithuanians uh, having current accounts, having savings accounts, mortgages, all that kind of thing was a separate business, which is known as the non-resident business, and non-residents there means just people outside those countries, so people outside Estonia or Latvia or Lithuania. In practice, that meant mostly Russians. And really, these countries, the three Baltic countries, sort of sold themselves almost as financial bridges between Russia and other ex-Soviet states, and the West, and the EU. It was a way for Russians to get their money into the European Union.
1: Richard says there were three known schemes for this. The schemes are referred to as laundromats, because the act of funneling money out of one country and into the next is meant to make the money clean.
2: There's what's called the Azerbaijan laundromat,
1: This is where tens of billions of dollars flowed out of accounts in Azerbaijan through Danska's branch in Estonia.
2: There's the Russian laundromat.
1: Where even more billions of dollars were funneled out of Russia and through the Estonia branch. We still don't know where the money from each of these schemes ended up
2: and then there's the Magnitsky scandal. That was an alleged $230 million tax fraud in Russia that was uncovered by an accountant called Sergei Magnitsky.
0: My lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky in Russia, was murdered after uncovering a... He's
2: later beaten to death while in custody, and he was working for an outfit called Hermitage Capital Management, which is owned by Bill Browder, who has become a sort of prominent Kremlin critic.
0: We've looked for where the money went that he was killed over.
2: He has been following the money through various banks, and he's one of the reasons why a lot of this alleged wrongdoing has come out.
1: Richard told me that some of the executives at Danske Bank had actually got a warning way back in 2007 that something funny might be happening at their new Estonia branch. And it turns out the data from the Estonia Bank was collected and stored on a completely separate system from the rest of Danske's operations.
2: Even more strikingly, you get Russia's central bank letting Danska know that the Estonian branch was being used for dubious transactions that were either widespread tax evasion or money laundering to the tune of billions of rubles a month. So there's that right at the start.
1: Who was running the operation when all of this was taking place?
2: Probably the main one is somebody called Thomas Borgen. He was in charge of international banking at Danske from 2009 to 2012. As head of international banking, he has oversight for Estonia at that time. He then became chief executive in 2013, so he's the ultimately responsible person.
1: And it was 2013 when things finally started to come to a head.
2: More than 30 billion euros flows through the non-resident portfolio. You get a number of things happening. Danske amazingly has no person almost for the entire year in charge of compliance. Now that's against Danish law.
1: Danske also worked with two global investment banks to handle its U.S. dollar accounts. And by the middle of 2013, one of these banks, J.P. Morgan, cut ties with Danske. The reason for doing so? J.P. Morgan said it was concerned about these non-resident customers.
2: A couple of months later, Danske's management meet to discuss the Estonian business. They meet to discuss the J.P. Morgan decision. And one executive says he thinks that the business should be reviewed and potentially reduced. And Mr. Borgen replied that Danske needed to find middle ground. Now, this is according to minutes that we've seen. In Danske's own investigation, it says that Mr. Borgen doesn't remember which middle ground he was referring to, but our sources said that this was the crucial moment. This was the moment when it was decided not to scale back this activity. One final thing happens in 2013, that in a way is the reason why it all comes out because a whistleblower in the Estonian branch contacts senior management in Copenhagen and says that there's a problem with at least one customer. He alleges that this customer, which is a Shell company in the UK, has links to the family of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Kremlin have denied that Mr. Putin has any links with Danske Bank. And it really spirals from there. Danske then investigate that. They find that the whistleblowers' concerns, you know, are well-grounded. And over the next sort of 18 months, two years, it gradually closes down the Estonian non-resident business. So by the end of 2015 the business is closed, and things go a little bit quiet.
1: Richard, at its peak, how significant was this Estonian operation to Danske's bottom line?
2: There's a number of ways of looking at the scale of this. The Estonian business only represented about 0.5% of Danske Bank's assets. So it was a small part of the bank but at various times it represented between 8 and 10% of the group's profits, just the non-resident part, which is kind of extraordinary, really, that such a small part of the business was so profitable. Then there's the question of flow and what comes out of the investigation that Danske did itself is that really an extraordinary amount of money flowed through the non-resident portfolio it was 200 billion euros between 2007 and 2015. That's about 10 times the size of Estonia's economy. At its peak, that represents about half of the cross-border money flows in Estonia just going through Danske Bank's branch, all of these figures mean that, you know, alarm bells should have been ringing somewhere in the system. And then under the sort of spotlight of the public image, Danske has to start investigating. Things really kicked off this year, I think it's fair to say. In 2018, first of all, what happens is in May, the Danish regulator issues a pretty critical report of Danske, but crucially, it finds that there's no grounds to take action against its management. And then we sort of head towards the summer where things really start heating up. We reported that in one year as much as 30 billion dollars had passed through the non-resident portfolio and that really led investors to realize that we were talking about a scale of money laundering scandal that we haven't really seen very often in the world and then Danske comes with its own report and i think it, you know for most people seeing just how much money had flowed through The branch, that it was £200 was really shocking. And Mr Borgen announced his resignation on the day. The chief executive of Denmark's
1: Danske Bank has resigned in the wake of a money laundering scandal. The CEO of a
0: major Danish bank has quit. The CEO of Danske Bank has resigned
2: after its Estonian branch was accused of laundering billions of dollars. But the bank wanted him to carry on until the successor was found. Shareholders were particularly unhappy about this, as well as what they thought was a sort of inadequate report. And so the bank, under huge pressure a couple of weeks later, fold and gets rid of Mr. Borgen immediately.
1: Danske then tried to appoint an internal candidate as chief executive.
2: In really an incredibly rare move, the financial regulator in Denmark said that he wasn't qualified enough and so the bank had to withdraw its application so you've not just got the management under huge pressure now you've got the board under incredible pressure and and it kind of all adds up to a scandal where really nobody comes out of it looking good
1: This is a story of greed. It's a bit about willful ignorance. It's a story with many themes. But I guess it all comes down to the question of how did this scheme go on for so many years without unraveling?
2: I think really the history of this is still being written and we're still finding out elements that allow us to understand that. What you have to say is that Danske, while huge, and extraordinary in that sense is just one in the long line of money laundering scandals. And it seems that European banks and perhaps Nordic banks specifically or perhaps not really were something of a, a weak spot and were used for money laundering. And I think that points to issues in the banking industry itself, but it definitely points to also issues with regulation. The former head of Europol, which is sort of Europe's top policeman then, said earlier this year that 99% of money laundering was successful. Billions of euros of money laundering was taking place in Europe every year. And this was despite the fact that banks were spending billions of euros themselves on compliance. The compliance rules have got tougher and tougher, and that catches a lot of innocent people who are just, you know, sending money to pay a bill abroad or sending money to a relative abroad. That can cause a lot of frustration. Really deep discussions need to be had on just how we combat money laundering because at its heart if there was money laundering at Danske Bank it was really of some of the most simple forms of just sending money between companies. There is considerably more sophisticated methods of laundering money available and so if this much is supposed to be found at Danske it makes you wonder what else is out there.
1: So, Richard, with all of this in mind about what happened at Danska, where do you think the story goes from here?
2: Well, I think it's a question of what were some of the other links in the chain. Where did the money come from? Where did it go? Which banks are involved? And a very fascinating sort of potential insight into this is that Bill Browder has asked Swedish, Danish and Norwegian prosecutors to open criminal investigations into Nordea, the Nordic region's biggest bank. And he's alleging that millions of dollars from this fraud uncovered by his accountant, Magnitsky, flowed through Nordea accounts. And I think there's an expectation that that will not be the only bank that will be named in this regard. So there's a long way to go in finding out exactly what's happened to all this money.
1: Richard has broken many of the key stories of the Danske Bank scandal, and you can read all of them at FT.com. There's a particularly helpful timeline of the scandal, too. And I want to thank everyone who's recently written in with episode recommendations and special requests. We're looking at all of them and we'll be covering many of your ideas soon, so please keep them coming. You can email us at behindthemoneyft.com. This week's episode was produced by me and Jennifer Siegel. We also had editing help from Alex Laughlin. Thanks for listening.